0: We gather today to find beauty in a broken world, to find consolation in our faith and in our community, and to carry each other forward in the storm. Hi there. I'm Reverend Bob Lavallee, and I'm so glad to be here with our worship leader, Kristen Satterley, and our special guest musician, Issa Noor. Our intern minister, Matt Parger de Villarreal, and our senior minister, Reverend Angela Herrera, are both taking a well-deserved weekend off. And our DJ day is Tech Arts Director Chris Paul. And Chris also created our Time for All Ages today. That is not to be missed. It's a great one. Our tech team is Pamela, Arnie, and Cheryl. You know, and it takes a village to do Zoom worship. So thanks to everybody for helping to co-create this. If you're visiting today, it's your first or second time or so, you're welcome to put your, we actually would love it if you would put your name and location in the chat so we can say, Hey, it's so fun to see where people are logging into our zoom worship from all over the country. Sometimes Kristen has some announcements.
1: Good morning. We want to start by saying a big thank you to all the folks who made last Sunday's barbecue possible. We had a great turnout of folks enjoying the jazz band and the bouncy house and the great company. I know I had a great time talking to people I haven't seen in literally years and we're looking forward to doing more. Mark your calendars for the Pride weekend June 6th through 11th. First Unitarian's float entry for the June 11th parade will be on a Star Wars Rainbow Cantina theme. Help create it by bringing the whole family to a pride painting party behind the Religious Religious Education building at 1 PM today. And you can still buy tickets to the New Mexico Isotopes AAA baseball team Pride Night on June 18th. Just follow the link on the First Unitarian homepage. The First You Young Adults will meet at 1230 on June 5th in the Arnold Room and every first and third Sunday after that. All young adults are welcome. For more information, contact Emilia Mariner. We are Unitarian Universalists. We are people of faith with open minds, loving hearts and welcoming hands. Yes, that's the children's affirmation. And we'd like you to say it on camera to use in our 9 a.m. Sunday services. Whether you're 16 or 100, whether you're six or 106, we'd love to see you. Individually or in a group, all good. We'll have a video recording booth set up for you in the church courtyard on Sunday, June 5th, from noon to 1 p.m. Call Tech Director Chris Paul at 505-463-1492 for details. Or you can grab your phone and record it yourself. Be creative. Then please upload your video to the link now posted in the chat. Now, if you have a chalice or candle set up, I invite you to light it with us now with the words of Sarah von Brannock, expect to have hope rekindled. Expect your prayers to be answered in wondrous ways. The dry seasons in life do not last. The spring rains will come again.
2: We are Unitarian Universals. We are people of faith with open minds, loving hearts, and helping hands.
1: That was wonderful. Thank you, Chris. Let's pause the chat for a few moments during the meditation and prayer. As we transition into this time of meditation, I invite you to take a moment to get comfortable where you are. A chair, the sofa, your bed. Close your eyes if that's comfortable for you. Take a slow breath and let it out. Visualize the energy moving through your body, stress, tension, pain, anxiety, all forms of energy. Touch on each one. See them as bright whorls or streaks the crease between your eyebrows, the tightness in your shoulders, the crick in your neck, the cramp in your calf, your racing heart, all swirls and eddies of energy. Now, gently and without judgment, touch on each one and invite it to melt, to warm and flow down your body like clear honey or warm sand Flowing down and pooling at your body's lowest point, your feet on the ground, your rear in your chair, your back and thighs against the bed. Let all those swirls of energy melt and flow, gathering where you are connected to the earth, lending you a gentle weight, a more grounded presence, like a weeble or a water-weighted boxing bag. You may wobble, but you won't fall down. Return your attention upward in your body to find more pools and whorls of energy, your clenched jaw, a knot in your belly, stiff fingers, curled toes, and gently invite that energy to melt and join the rest, softly pooling and grounding you. You certainly won't be able to melt all of your blocked energy in this way in just two minutes, but no matter, gently and without judgment Carry on, letting the energy in your body flow down and connect you more firmly to the earth until I bring us back together with the sound of the chime. Sorry about that, muting error. Our church is a welcoming community where we find connection and a spiritual community where we find meaning. Our church is a sharing community where our joys are amplified and a loving community where our sorrows are lessened. Please type in the chat box first your joys and then your sorrows. If you are unable to write in the chat box, we invite you to contact the church at caring at uuabq.org. We take this moment to reflect on our joys and sorrows, and to find comfort in our support for one another.
0: We also remember Melissa Falconstern, whose father passed this week. lift up her and her husband andrew and her daughter cora who had just met her grandfather for the first time may they be comforted by their memories and may light perpetual shine upon him on this memorial day weekend we pray for the lives lost to war may our leaders make decisions that honor their sacrifices these and All of our joys and concerns, we lift them all up to the great powers of healing and celebration, known by many names. This week has been a hard week for praying. And right now, I don't feel right just praying alone. There's so much to say and so much for which words are not adequate. So we're going to do a responsive prayer together using the words of reverend caitlin Caitlin cotter Coyleberg, after each line that i read i ask that you say we grieve together i hope that there's some comfort in knowing that right now in a hundred homes we are praying together as the news cycle brings us images of terror and heartbreak once again
1: we grieve together
0: (laughs) As each of us faces into this new level of horror,
1: we grieve together.
0: As we remember other moments of pain and fear and loss,
1: we grieve together.
0: Are we yearning for an end to violence and suffering?
1: We grieve together.
0: Yearning for a true pace where all, a true peace where all feel safe and whole.
1: We grieve together.
0: Yearning for greater justice, compassion, and wisdom.
1: We grieve together.
0: In the shadow of violence, we remember we are all connected in love.
1: We grieve together.
0: In the shadow of violence, we recommit to working for a better world.
1: We grieve together.
0: In the shadow of violence we find comfort and courage in each other
1: we grieve together
0: we grieve together peace be with you
1: and do not come back. In time, people begin to get the feeling that there's something weird in that part of the forest and they don't go there anymore. One day, an unknown hunter shows up at the castle and says, what can I do? Anything dangerous to do around here? The king says, well, I could mention the forest, but there's a problem. The people who go out there don't come back. The return rate is not good. That's just the sort of thing I like, the young man says. So he goes into the forest and, interestingly, he goes there alone, taking only his dog. The young man and his dog wander about in the forest and they go past a pond. Suddenly a hand reaches up from the water, grabs the dog and pulls it down. The young man doesn't respond by becoming hysterical. He merely says, this must be the place. Fond as he is of his dog and reluctant as he is to abandon him, the hunter goes back to the castle, rounds up three more men with buckets, and then comes back to the pond to bucket out the water. Anyone who has ever tried it will quickly note that such bucketing is very slow work. In time, what they find lying on the bottom of the pond is a large man covered with hair from head to foot. The hair is reddish. It looks a little like rusty iron. They take the man back to the castle and imprison him the king puts him in an iron cage in the courtyard calls him iron john and gives the key into the keeping of the queen
0: (sighs) we're in a time when it all feels too big too awful too unstoppable to find a way to think about all of it. Too big to find a way to talk about it at all. And I sure feel that way about today's sermon. I chose to talk about men six weeks ago, and as is seems the way of things these days, six weeks is a long time. The idea of men at war got a lot more complicated in six weeks and also a lot more painful. So here goes. Starting in April, a small group of brave men met for the first of three meetings where we watched a documentary about masculinity and then talked about it. And I want to start by thanking those guys for coming on this journey. I appreciate the work that you did, and I feel closer to you for all doing that together, all of us. The first documentary we watched is called Buck, and it's about a guy named Buck Breitaham. If you saw the movie or read the book, The Horse Whisperer, he was the basis for that character, The Horse Whisperer. And he works now teaching people how to train and handle their horses. And his approach is that rather than trying to dominate the horse, humans should use leadership and above all sensitivity with their horses. It's the opposite of the idea of breaking a horse. And the interesting thing is that Buck was brutally abused by his father when he was growing up. Had only stopped when a gym teacher saw the welts on his back. The stories that Buck tells in the documentary, they're horrific, and yet somehow he found a path to a different kind of masculinity, where strength could be paired with empathy. In the documentary Buck showed the group, that our little group, two important things for men to examine. First, it highlighted the incredible power that fathers have over their sons. Fathers are the first teachers to their sons about how to be men. And the Franciscan, Richard Rohr, who's actually a citizen of Albuquerque, he worked as a prison chaplain for years. And he coined the phrase, the father wound, to talk about the way that the absence of fathers or the presence of abusive fathers was a driving force in the the dysfunction that he encountered in the prison. And I'm here to say that this dysfunction among men extends far beyond prison to every corner of the world. And yet, as Buck shows so well, men don't have to become their fathers. Buck was lucky because he got pulled out of that abusive situation and met men who showed him another way to be. Not every man is so lucky. But adult men always have the chance to examine how they exist in the world and think about doing better. I could see the men in our small group grappling with that, and it was a beautiful thing to watch. The second documentary we watched was The Mask You Live In. That's a play on masculine, get it? Masculine, masculine. Anyways, this documentary is a direct look at how our narrow view of masculinity harms boys, and harms men, and harms all of society. For example, one of the experts that's interviewed notes that in kindergarten, boys are eager to talk and engage in the class, while by sixth grade, boys are increasingly shut down. This shutting down is partly because of an avoidance of being nerdy or weak or effeminate, in favor of projecting a tough, I don't care, none of this affects me attitude. And it goes on and on and on. The mask you live in is an accurate an accurate documentary, and I think for the men in the group, there was a certain amount of like, yeah, dud, yeah, duh, you know, like the way we are now is bad. And that actually reflects one of the ironies of doing this kind of work. The men who show up to do it are probably already engaged with it in one way or another, the men who could really use the work will run quickly in the opposite direction. So speaking of the work, that's the title of the third and final documentary that we watched. The work is a 2017 documentary about a combination of incarcerated and non-incarcerated men who come together in Folsom prison for a weekend of intense self-examination. It's incredibly raw and intimate and powerful. I gotta admit, I was crying within 10 minutes of starting the film. It's intense. and It's hard to watch because some of the men, especially the non-incarcerated ones, want to have personal growth, but lack the tools to do it. And the other men participating are quick to both challenge and support the men doing the work. And that was one of the powerful takeaways from the documentary. The presence of supporting men makes the huge difference in the ability of an individual man to change. And yet how many men have few to no male friends, especially as they get older. Too often men let their friendships slide after coupling up with a partner, and they rely on that partner to take up the slack of friendship, which the partner may or may not do. And loneliness is a poison to anyone and everyone. I also appreciated how the film showed men relating physically. When someone was upset, in the documentary, the men around him moved closer putting their hands on him, and even restraining him as his rage and despair broke through and he may have become violent. Another way that toxic masculinity hurts men is that it isolates them physically. Once a man is done playing sports or being in the military, it's much less likely that they'll enjoy friendly touch from another man. I think homophobia has a place in this, but skin hunger, the hunger to be touched, is a part of the loneliness too, a compounding factor. Another piece that's made clear in the documentary is the amount of courage and intensity required to confront the feelings that have been suppressed for a lifetime. The incarcerated men, some of whom were facilitators for this group, had no problem confronting other men when it was clear that they were refusing to show up in an authentic and vulnerable way. Now, wouldn't it be, you know, the courage, courageous intensity of these men was surprising and thrilling to watch. Like, who wouldn't love to say, in the spirit of helping someone go, Hey, cut out this nonsense. The fact that some of the men who were doing this in the prison were so intimidating, that really added to the power of it, too. But the scenes that made me wonder about the role of incarceration in the work and also in The Mask You Live In, it's men in jail who are shown finally confronting the demons of their toxic masculinity. And it makes me wonder if the resistance in men to doing this kind of self examination has to be overcome by extreme circumstances that it can only happen when there's nothing left to lose. That suggests how hard, how countercultural it is for men to begin this work. And that's why I chose the reading for today. It's a story of a hunter who discovers a giant sunken in a pond. The giant in the pond is a metaphor for our feelings hidden yet powerful, prone to reaching up and grabbing once in a while. And I appreciate the detail of the hunter getting help to bucket out the pond. It's possible to understand our feelings on our own, but it's a lot easier if we have help. So, hooray for therapy, hooray for supportive friends who want to show up for these conversations. But the story shows that the work doesn't end there. Iron John is fully seen at the end but he's also captured and put in jail. The feelings are not yet free and not yet ready for full expression. Exploring the roots of our emotional scarring is an enormous first step. It's an an act that involves not just the what and the why of the equation. It also asks the much more daunting question of what next? What do we men do of our feelings once we're aware that they exist? It's a deep emotional chasm for men who have spent their entire lives turning away from that question itself. Before we move on, I do want to say a word about Iron John. When I read Iron John in the 90s, it was a revelation to me, or at least I thought it was. When I revisited it this week, I found that the farther I got into the book, the less I agreed with it. I guess that's a good thing. You know, we've learned a lot since in in the 30 years that have passed. So I want you to know that I'm not necessarily endorsing the book. Like a good Unitarian Universalist, I'm just taking the parts that are useful and leaving the rest. And maybe you want to read it and find, find out for yourself. One thing that's for sure, we are much wiser about gender than we used to be. Make no mistake, we have a very, very long way to go, but compared to 1990, you betcha, we're in a better place. And since I'm talking about gender all along, let's let's get specific. First of all, the binary of only male and female leaves a lot of important expressions of humanhood, of personhood, out of the picture. And you can refer back to Angela's sermon, titled, the one that she just did, entitled, Trans Children Are Made in the Image of God, for more on that. The idea of a binary is wrong and it's dangerous. Also, gender is like race in that it's a societal construct. It's just just something we created. The idea that certain gendered characteristics are tied to specific kinds of bodies is wrong and dangerous. No one can persuade me that strength is solely the province of men or that nurturing is something that only women do. It's not true. It's nonsense. But like race, the idea of gender, even though both these things are not really a real thing, the ideas of them have incredible power. The idea of gender is so embedded in society, so embedded in ourselves, that it might as well be a real thing. Gender is a performance. And to be honest, at this point in my life, I wouldn't know how not to perform the masculine gender. I wouldn't know how to do it without becoming completely paralyzed. It's that embedded in me. And I think it's the case with everybody, where our genders get embedded in us. Anyways, it's been a hell of a couple of weeks. Weeks where we saw hell. And that hell was generated by men. So if we don't talk about patriarchy and misogyny, we'll be stuck here in this hell. Also, if we don't get some rational gun control, but that's another sermon. So I want to read a quote from the book, We Are the Work, which is about an organization that I'm a fan of. It's called Men Stopping Violence. And the, book written with, the book was written by Dick Bathrick. In it, there's a quote by one of the leaders of the organization, a woman who was speaking after the Oklahoma bombing. And I think it applies to the moment we're in. It goes, What the Oklahoma bombing has done for me is to bring me face-to-face with how deep the resistance is to real liberty for women and people of color and gays and lesbians. And in its manifestation as opposing the government, the federal agents, their resistance makes it look like it is men fighting other men, who are, after all, the only worthy opponents. But the battle among men is taking place on a field of women of people of color, of gays and lesbians. The government in this scenario is code language for the rights of others, others who were only supposed to serve men and remain subordinate to men, to white men. The lines are being drawn. That's the end of the quote. The link between the horrific slaughters that were forced to win, pardon me, <clears throat> the link between these horrific slaughters that we're forced to witness week in and week out and the hatred of women, these links, is very strong. Re- research has shown a causal connection between domestic violence and mass shootings. Built into toxic masculinity is an insistence on hierarchy and domination, not just among men, but between men and everyone and everything else. And masculinity limits how men do conflict. I had an interesting conversation with Reverend Angela the other day. We were talking about managing real conflict with people who are being aggressive to us verbally or physically aggressive. And Angela was telling me that about all her different strategies, strategies for assessing and disarming threats. And I realized that because I've spent most of my adult life as a large man, I didn't have to create different strategies. All I had to do was to be intimidating. Well, I'm getting older and I'm not strong like I used to be. And I realized that I don't have other strategies beyond being intimidating. And truly, I am less prepared to deal with aggression. I am less prepared than my petite female bosses. Masculinity takes a toll on men in a lot of ways, and one of those ways is lacking creative options for being in conflict, lacking non-violent options for being in conflict. And another way, frankly, which from that is reflected in that conversation, is that another way it takes a toll is that men have absolutely no idea how women think about safety. I could do a whole other sermon about the ways that conventional ideas about masculinity hurt men, but that feels really awkward, especially in this moment. How do we talk about the suffering of men in this system while acknowledging, owning the incredible suffering that men cause? Can we find the spiritual depth to hold these two truths? That it is hurt people who cause hurt. That when a man does violence, it's not his first experience of violence. His first experience of violence is to be on the receiving end. And yet, and yet, for things to change, men need to be accountable. I want to share something else from men stopping violence. This is from their core principles. They have eight core principles. Unlike us, we have seven for now. Here's their principle. Number seven, we are the work. And he's referring, the we refers to men. To change the world, we must become aware of how we move within it. For example, we need to be conscious of how we use our power. Thus, organizing for change begins with examining our part in maintaining and undoing social inequities. When we see how we are the part of the problem, we can make an informed decision to be part of the solution. Without this kind of self-examination, we are likely to deny and minimize our own abusive behaviors, as well as other people's. We must make the connection between ourselves and the culture of violence by drawing on our own experience as victims and our experience as perpetrators. This work is ongoing, and it better prepares us to challenge individuals and institutions that promote violence against women. End of quote. This is Church. So I want to offer one spiritual practice that I think can help us in this work. I believe that seeing ourselves as sacred is an important first step. How do we live up to our own sacredness? And I'll frame it in Unitarian Universalist terms. How might we men be different if we affirmed our own inherent worth and dignity? Our own inherent worth and dignity? How much of our bad behavior comes from the feeling that we have no worth? Would we act differently if we thought about it and refused to betray our human dignity? Feels like a good place to start, doesn't it? My prayer for us is that we can find new ways to be human that transcend old toxic ideas about gender roles. My prayer really is that love will transform us. May it be so.
1: The Transgender Resource Center of New Mexico is our Change for the Future recipient through the end of May. This groundbreaking project works to raise public consciousness while advocating for the entire spectrum of gender nonconforming citizens and offering them much needed services. This is the final Sunday that they will be receiving the Change for the Future funds. You can make an offering online by clicking on the link that we'll put in the chat box. If you prefer not to give online, you can simply mail a check to the church and include Change for the Future on the memo line. And now let us exercise the enduring power of generosity.
0: Well, what is generously given is received with gratitude. Thank you on behalf of First Unitarian, and thank you on behalf of the Transgender Resource Center of New Mexico. This is actually the last Sunday of the quarter that we'll be collecting for them. So if you're so moved, you can go to our website and make a donation for a really worthwhile organization that... Really does some specific work around gender too and undoing the toxic qualities of it. So I love that organization. So we're coming towards the end of our service. If you want to stake around, you're welcome to stay through the credits. We'll put you in a breakout room. You can talk among yourselves. But wherever you are, I have a discussion question to suggest. That discussion question is In what ways do you perform gender? In what ways do you perform gender? And I want to make it clear that not all performances of gender are negative. There are joyful ways to explore and inhabit gender, as long as we're not too attached to them, right? Anyways, before we, before we extinguish our chalices, let's do our Potchum greeting. You're invited to change your view to gallery view, so you can see everybody's faces. If you're comfortable turning your camera on, we'd love to see your faces. Placing one hand on your heart, The other hand reaching towards your camera, your community, let your faces be a prayer. Blessed be. Let's extinguish our chalices here and at home. Holy cow, the chalice went out somehow during the service. You got a little breezy in here. So if you're at home, extinguish your chalice and may love transform us. Go in peace and practice radical love.